Welcome to Poems by Heart in our first annual holiday season of poetry. Catch the spirit of the season by tuning your ears to the crackling fire, a sleigh passing by from time to time, and a bit of holiday music. As the daylight shrinks and the snow muffles sound and the cold crystallizes our vision, memorizing poetry not only sharpens our brains, and deepens our understanding of what it means to be a human living on this little planet at this time in a vast expanse. It also connects us across time and space to others who have hoped and lost and hoped again. So pull your chair up to the fire, stare into the flames, and memorize a Christmas poem with me. Tis the season, and I have a special treat for you. From today until the night before Christmas, we are going to memorize that quintessential Christmas poem, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." So, by Christmas Eve, you will have the entire poem in your memory banks. Picture yourself with your family beside a crackling fire, fat snowflakes silently falling beyond the window panes, a hush outside as snow blankets the yard and streets, and you reciting the entire poem to your gathered family. Or perhaps you are perched on the edge of your children's or grandchildren's bed, reciting the poem as their eyelids grow heavy and await visions of sugar plums and flying reindeer. In this episode, we will memorize the first stanza, which is 12 lines. We'll have two more episodes memorizing 12 lines. Then, just before Christmas Eve, we'll do the last stanza of eight lines and work through the entire poem together. So you'll have it all by Christmas Eve. We're going to use the immersion memorization technique with bountiful Christmas sounds. Along the way, we'll learn how the authorship of the poem is hotly contested and has been for more than a hundred years, with one family valiantly trying to prove their forebearer's authorship and another trying to maintain the authorship of theirs. We'll learn how the poem created the character of Santa from traditions ranging from the Norse of Scandinavia to the Moors of Spain, giving us one of the most ecumenical mythic characters in American history. Right here in this little sweet poem, we can see how cultural myths spread, morph, loop, and fold back, creating an ever-evolving rich tapestry of influences that is a beautiful example of our human nature to share and to create. But first, let's listen to the entire poem. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house "'not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. "'The stockings were hung by the chimney with care "'in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. "'The children were nestled all snug in their beds "'while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. "'And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes did appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With the little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be St. Nick. 
More rapid than eagles his courses they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop his courses they flew, with a sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof, prancing and pawing of each tiny hoof. As I drew in my head, and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled! His dimples, how merry! His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod, up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all! And to all, a good night. That brings back such memories for me. My family had a slim little booklet, green velvet cover, and bound with a simple gold binding cord. This may have been the first poem I ever memorized. My memory suggests I was in late grade school. I remember sitting on the steps to the basement, reading and repeating the lines. But today we're just going to do the first 12 lines, what I'm calling stanza one. When the poem was first published on December 23, 1823, it was written as one long poem, no stanza breaks. I've broken it into three stanzas of 12 lines and one stanza of 8 lines, simply to make it easier to memorize. Listen to just the first stanza, and notice how we have rhymed couplets straight through. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house... Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash. 
tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Now listen to just the first couplet. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Here our first rhymed couplet of house and mouse. We'll find this throughout the poem, which helps us memorize. Say this first couplet with me. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Nice. Now repeat it after me. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Now try reciting it while I just whisper along with you. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Beautiful. Now listen to the second couplet. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Try saying it with me. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Awesome. Try repeating it after me. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Beautiful. Now let's recite both couplets we've done so far while I just whisper along with you. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there." Listen to the third couplet and notice the progression of place in the poem. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. We started the poem with the general state of the house. Then we went into a public room, the living room. Now we're in the children's bedroom. Say this third couplet with me. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Nice. Repeat it after me. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Perfect. Now recite it on your own while I whisper. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar danced in their heads. Wonderful. The music you hear is from the Nutcracker Ballet and is called The Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. The poem is written in what's called anapest meter. This means that it's written with two unstressed syllables followed by a stressed ones like da-da-dum, da-da-dum. T'was the night before Christmas when all through the house the word anapes comes from Greek and means literally struck back, which is not enlightening in the least, until we know that it was viewed as the opposite or reversal of the dactyl meter, 
which is a stressed syllable followed by two unstressed ones, dum da da dum da da. So anapest reverses the order of the already popular dactyl meter. Because anapest meter lines end with a stressed syllable, it forms a strong end-line rhyme that leads into the next line with a rolling kind of feel. It also lends itself to long lines with lots of complexity in them. Listen to our next anapest couplet. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Here, in the fourth couplet, we meet our narrator, the character telling this Christmas Eve poem. We never know his name or age or occupation, but we can glean much about him. He's the man of the house. We know this because he's sleeping beside the mother of the house, and he's wearing a cap, which was what men wore to bed back before central heating, back when you'd wake up to a cold house, the fireplaces having burned down to embers during a long, cold December night. Say this fourth couplet with me. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Now repeat it after me. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Perfect. Now recite it on your own while I just whisper. And Ma in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Up until now, the poem paints tranquility, the stillness of a cold night, but the poem is about to spring into action. Before we go here, I want to give you a way to keep the order of those first four couplets straight. We go from an overview of the house, to the living room, to the children's room, to our narrator's bed and head. So house, living room, children's room, narrator's bed. Let's recite all four couplets together, thinking about this progression. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Nice. Let's do that one more time. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Okay, our first action couplet. Listen. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Now say this fifth couplet with me. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, 
I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Great. Try repeating it after me. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter. I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Now recite while I whisper along with you. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter. I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Perfect. Listen to the sixth and last couplet of this first stanza. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. A little explanation here may be in order. First, what's a sash? It's simply the part of the window that moves, that opens, either sliding up or down or cranking out. So here we have a conventional window that you lift up to open. What about the shutters? I was confused about how someone would open shutters before opening the window. I thought all shutters were attached to the outside of homes for the purpose of protecting them from hurricanes and blizzards and so forth. For bringing this episode to you, after all these years, I finally looked up this shutter confusion. I discovered that about a third of shutters installed today in the United States are actually these interior shutters. They are used instead of drapes or blinds to be decorative and to control sunlight coming in. So yes, it is plausible to first open shutters, then open the window. It feels good to finally have this niggling bit of the poem sorted out for myself. Say this last couplet with me. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Nice. Now repeat it after me. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Beautiful. Let's put the two action couplets together and say them together. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter. I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Nice. Now recite them on your own while I whisper along with you. When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter. I sprang was the matter. Away to the window, I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Perfect. Now we just have to put it all together and you've got the first stanza of Twas the Night Before Christmas memorized. But first let's find out more about the poem's origins, which will help us understand the controversy of its authorship that will emerge in the decades after it was published. The poem was first published as A Visit from St. Nicholas on December 23, 1823, in a newspaper in Troy, New York, called The Sentinel. Poetry was common in newspapers back then, and it was common for them to be published anonymously. Not only was this one published anonymously, but whoever delivered it to the newspaper did not include any name on the submission. It was an immediate hit. And over the next few years, scores of newspapers reprinted it, always anonymously. It wasn't until 14 years later, in 1837, that the author, or should we say supposed author, admitted to having written the poem, 
although he apparently spoke about it privately and word leaked out in some circles. Clement Clark Moore, a professor of Oriental and Greek literature at the General Theological Seminary, staked his claim of authorship firmly in 1844, 21 years after its first publication, when he included the poem in his own book of poetry. Moore later said that he'd written it for his two daughters as a Christmas present, but been embarrassed by the lowbrow sentimental poem. Imagine a classical literature professor producing such a popular, simple poem. Not good for his reputation among his peers. But in those twenty-plus years, the poem had become so popular, he got over his reputation-saving reserve. All was quiet for another fifty-five years, until the inner rumblings of the Livingston family finally hit a newspaper. Henry Livingston, a gentleman farmer and former Revolutionary War major, who dabbled in writing and publishing verse, had died in 1848. But his daughter Eliza claimed to have remembered Henry reading the poem to her and his other children sometime between 1805 and 1810, as much as 18 years before it was anonymously published. Eliza wrote in a letter to another family member, quote, It was approved and believed in our family to be fathers, and I well remember our astonishment when we saw it claimed as Clement C. Moore's, unquote. She claimed that her brother had found the original poem in Livingston's own handwriting while going through papers following her father's death. Several of Livingston's children and relatives began talking about their father's authorship and writing letters among themselves and trying to interest newspapers and historical societies in exploring Moore's claim. But not until 1899 did any of this hit the public eye, and then only in a short letter to the editor in the New York Sun. The letter only asked that the paper's editor, or whoever else would read it, to supply evidence of Moore's authorship claim. And so began a literary forensic autopsy and historical mystery that continues to this day. Who wrote the most famous Christmas poem? If Moore wrote it, then the Livingston family and several literary scholars have been besmudging his name for more than a hundred years. If Livingston wrote it, then a professor of literature at a theological seminary lied for years and claimed another man's work. We'll get back to the mystery in the next episode. For now, just know that controversy surrounds this sweet poem that more than any other defined more important non-religious symbols of Christmas. Let's tackle the entire first stanza together. Remember that the progress of the couplets moves from the house to the living room, to the children's bedrooms, to the narrator's bed and head. Then the last two couplets of action start. Let's say the first stanza together. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. 
One more time. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Nice. Now try it with me just giving you the first word of each line. Twas. Not. The. In. The. While. And. Had. When I away tore. How is that? Are you getting it? One more time. Let's do that again. This time I'll just whisper along with you. Twas the night before Christmas when all stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Ma in her kerchief, and I in my cap, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window, I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. Beautiful. We did it. In a few days, we'll take on the second stanza. One last thing before you go. As usual, I encourage you to support adult literacy by giving to pro-literacy. Literacy unlocks human potential and makes for a more peaceful world something we could use right now. This time, however, I also want to encourage you to give to this podcast. Listeners who give will get the chance to share their favorite poems with other poem memorizers who subscribe to this podcast. It doesn't matter how much you give. If a poem fits lengthwise and I like it, I'll do an episode with it. And if your poem is chosen, I'll offer you the opportunity to read the poem with me for the podcast, and perhaps tell our audience a little about why you love it. So if you enjoy memorizing poems with me, support the effort by going to poemsbyheart.com and clicking the donate button. Until next time, happy holidays. Thank you for daring to memorize a holiday poem with me. Most of us need to do an episode two or three times to really memorize a poem thoroughly. 
My hope is that you will spread the joy of this poem by sharing it with those you care about this season. Let's all make our little corners of the world more peaceful, more joyous, and more poetic. Until next time, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.